0: Do a little intro,
1: maybe. yeah, yeah. Me, oh, me, 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 me. Oh my God! <laughs> you don't like that? No, I don't. That's
0: how we start the show, everybody. It's <laughs> Innovation Crush. That's what we do. Um, uh, me, 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 me. But well, the thing is, I know you have a. I'm going to say twenty percent of your time music career. Mm. Um, ish. So, uh, seventeen, yeah. seventeen <laughs> percent. <laughs> so, everybody, if you're tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And today, we probably have one of the smartest people doing some of the <laughs> smartest things. <Well. laughs> um, say hello, Shingy. Hello, A.K.A. David Shing. Um, do you have a middle name? Is there? I a- do. J for James. J. Ah uh yeah jamie jamie shingy was a little
1: too much much going on on there
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so i guess for starters uh, i would love if you could give sort of a a mini 101 on who
1: david shing is some what's up yeah some what's up some what's up on you okay so yes mate i david shingy what am i so i uh dude from australia obviously from my dulcet tones and what's fascinating is uh, I have this fortunate position of looking at trends, distilling them down for brands, agencies, clients, people, and sort of understanding what's going on. So that's the, and I do break it down to 101, man. So yeah. it's a beautiful privilege that I have to be able to spend time in the hemisphere of people like you. And I get to be able to observe people in the wild to get a sense of what we need to do to engage with them.
0: What are What are people doing in the wild? You know what, the, what is what is your version of wild? Like, well, what's, the, the wild. what's the What's the yeah, what's the digital
1: profits wild? Look, bruv, I just ran late to your podcast because the traffic out there is pretty damn. wild. That's true. That's true. I, I, we started packing up and everything, but um, <laughs> but you the made APB it. APB made its way out to <laughs> the DJs. But I think it's it's fascinating because the in the wild is all about the devices that people are distracted by, and today we know it's about mobile, and we've been talking about it for ten years. Um, you know, and I think brands. People, everybody are trying to look at these shiny objects to understand yeah. what they're trying to do with it. Now, you know, what I think is interesting is a lot of people talk about mobile as being a young person's game. Rubbish. It's every person's <laughs> game. Everybody has had that bloody device in their hand for the same amount of time. And we all act, we act like adolescents. Yeah. And so with that comes these metrics and ways to value what people are doing in a currency that we fall back on, which is popularity. So we treat everything like a popularity contest. Every time I meet somebody, like, oh, man, we're amazing. We've got 2 million users. I'm like, what does that matter? Right. What happened to engagement and dwell time and all of these things that we can't measure today but we need to? We're still sort of, you know, looking at amazing technologies but still measuring that on old world metrics and when i say all world metrics i'm talking about the digital world of cpm cpa cpc etc
0: well i mean aren't those things important though like uh, engagement of course
1: right like sure. yes if you have a th- we said the, the rule
0: of a thousand right like if i have a thousand hyper engaged fans like that does the job of two million like lazy ones sure um but you know are those other sort of stayed metrics still important
1: yeah they're important today especially when we talk about scaled media but people are running away from the scaled media landscape and trying to talk about how to deal with things that are shiny. So topic de jure clearly is virtual reality. But there's four types of realities, brother. There's virtual reality, goggles on, disconnected from humanity. Right. However, you're tethered to a supercomputer, so good luck with that. <laughs> and then there is augmented reality. Hello, Pokemon. The ability to say, how do I overlay uh, uh, you know, this sort of digital experience on top of reality? There's mixed reality, which is the ability to push around augmented and that's going to be the hollow lenses and the magic leaps of this world. And then there's reality reality, which you and I are doing right now, which is yes. kind of the space that I prefer to hang out in. <laughs> but what's fascinating, though, is that you know I grew up with a generation that when kids, you know, when, when the sun came up, we were booted outside and our parents said, don't come back till the sun goes down. Loved it. But today, kids' background or their backyard is a screen. And so they're still acting like teenagers, man. They're doing the same stuff that we did as kids, but they're doing this, they're pushing it to a screen, and that's kind of the new new. The challenge with that, though, is that, You know, the platforms that came up to allow kids to express themselves over all these social platforms. Open social web is an interesting connotation. However, it's not necessarily where the world's headed. The world is headed towards a closed network. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if I was to speak to a bunch of high school kids today and said, hey, man, which of you are on Instagram or Snapchat, I'll get 100% of the hands go up. When I ask the next question of which is Instagram is set to private, 100% of the hands stay up. And so what's happening with that is that there's been a surge of insecurity, especially around young adults. And so... They're looking for a closed network. Now, in 2006, I called it DeFriend Unfollow and I completely got it wrong because it's not a stock take on people. It's actually, instead of doing that, I'm just closing my network down. Right. And I'm only going to bring in people that I trust. Well,
0: what, what do you think about that accordion, right? Because I, I, I've thought about this before where it's, yeah, we were all like trying to amass the 5,000 Facebook friends and, yeah. you know, our, our top eight on MySpace. <laughs> um, and then suddenly there was like a dial back, right? And, and some of it probably came from like, hey, they're using our data, like, you know, but what do you, what's your perspective on that uh, accordion effect of back? Yeah, you know, and I love the dial that. Back?
1: Uh, you know, I love the accordion because it does, you know, if you don't know how to play it, it sounds like crap. You've um, ever seen a black man play an accordion? <laughs> I don't think so. But what I think yeah, is definitely a white man's game. <laughs> what I think is interesting about that, brother, is the ability to say that accordion you talk about is really uh, cycles. And we c- cycle in and out of these trends all the time. And it all comes back down to, you know, we're all rooted in this DNA of human beings. And at the end of the day, we're all wanting to be, yeah, we feel like a big city is interesting, but we end up sp- sp- spending time really in the, in the, in the neighborhood. We well, in- I,
0: th- I feel like that's true also, like, you know, this idea of, hey, because I, I, I wrote it down, but I like that you use the term distracted mm. by the devices rather than, you know, it's supposed to be a useful tool and yeah. and we all, don't all use it for its usefulness. It just becomes like this habit. Um, but... You know, there is that preference once you do experience something outside that digital realm. And you go like, oh, this is like festivals are great now because you're out and you're outside. And, um, and so you're experiencing that. So <laughs> and that's just one example.
1: But, no, I love that example. Where you're like, we go to festivals because we're outside. Holy it, shit. It, the only it, time we're outside it, is at a festival, man. For real? Come on. Yeah, here's what's interesting. That's a scientific if, study, by the way. I just, I, I here's what's fascinating about festivals. So if you think about live events, yes, we love more live events because we have the context of being with people yeah 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 but the challenge I have as a short white man <laughs> is that when I'm standing behind tall dudes, I am watching a lot of the concert through the screen, and it's rubbish, so I've been to many concerts recently where people say, Put the device away, we're going to record it for you, and give it freely give it to you to pass around, but we want you to be present right, and presence is really interesting, isn't it, and you know one of the words you used in this conversation already, this diatribe that we're talking about is is really the uh, the idea of um Habits. Now, to form, to, to adopt a new habit, you have to be prepared to break one. So, what habit are we breaking to be distracted by this device is probably attention of communicating with other humans face to face. Right. And so, I just think that's a really interesting thing to think about. And so, the principles of intercommunication through humans can it be facilitated through technology, meaning can technology help us humanize? Maybe. I think po- Pokemon Go is an interesting hot and then not a moment. Right. And I think part of that is because people freely think that it's a, that it's a lovely game of community when they don't understand it's actually a game. It's going to be gamed on the gamers, which is you cannot get to the next level unless you buy tokens to be able to up it. And then suddenly when people realize they have to pay hard-earned cash to be able to play next to Larry, that's not really going to work out so much. Fuck Larry! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, no, but that, I mean, even that, like you know, I feel like... We find these moments you mentioned VR and AR earlier, and and all these things, Mm -hmm. 3D TVs. Like I I feel like there's there's fad, and then there's like real, you know, usefulness. Or so, do you see the the gap between the the I don't know the fanfare around like everybody's like VR, 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 and I feel like in the industry we're all kind of talking to ourselves, right? But you go to the middle of America and you start look at mass adoption of these types of technologies. Do you see that as? Do you see that happening? Do you see the like the mass adoption happening?
1: Absolutely not, and then and it won't happen until it gets to two things. There's two. There's an economic. So what is the cost of this this technology, and then what is the usefulness of it? I mean, think about wearables, bro. You're one of the few people I, I bump into now that's actually having a wearable you've got i've just a, got this i'm
0: still in, i'm still in my like my six week window yeah of, and you, of returning uh, it to the
1: drawer and about six months you're gonna you know we'll see whether that thing's still on your wrist but that actually that model that you're wearing today is that is that's only released this year so you've got a newer version of a wearable on but most people sort of understand that wearables are interesting but they're no more important than your phone because they do most of those things that they can do there are others that are different like namato is a wearable that measures your atmosphere and tell you what SPF sunscreen you should wear. So that has a particular utility, but most of them have accelerometers in them and they do basically what your phone does. And, you know, they tether to your phone anyway, so they're, you know, they're, use, they're useful right. and useless. But what's interesting about it is, the, you know, when we talk about VR, there's an economic. And that economic is until it gets to a price point where people feel like, hey, the lack of wearing this and the enjoyment of when I do wear it is worthwhile for the experience, cool. However... I do take my hat off to people like Samsung who are trying to push the boat out on this because they are putting in the hands of creators and influencers, or whatever the hell you want to call those people, the ability to say, here is a device which is a professional device. I'm putting it in the hands of hopefully a pro. Go out and have at it because if you produce content that people are gagging for, then hopefully people are going to drive demand for the device, which is the one that they're going to try and proliferate. So that's how, uh, So I do think it's kind of a... Instead of here's the hardware and therefore it will come, right. why not build the content first and drive demand around it? And I think they're the first ones to really try and have a crack at that. Because well, the that
0: other- makes sense. I, you know. And I think that's kind of like the history of the iPhone. Like It was a big moment when they opened up and were like, hey, anybody can develop anything for our device now. And you're like, ooh. And then, I mean, look at what happened in terms of people's creativity, the things they think about, and what they're able to do either in the palm of their hand or like in their – library at home i don't know yeah but
1: then we end up with a world of overwhelming and underwhelming right so right. there's billions of apps out there because some of them are really crappy when was the last time you downloaded an app dude yeah yeah
0: you know what <laughs> well, when i got this misfit that was probably <laughs> which was like two weeks ago
1: right and then before that maybe a little pokemon go action and maybe something else before that right? yeah exactly so it turns out that the average number the, the average person the average number of apps they download per month is zero and because, you know, there's really you – know, there's, there's an overwhelming amount out there, then it's underwhelming because you really don't know what you're looking for. So part of it has to be curated. And the apps that come, do, you know, pre-installed on the phone do a lot of the utility that people are looking for. So they have to go out and seek for something that's interesting. You know, it's funny you should talk about the first generation of the iPhone, right? I don't think the interface on the phone has really changed that much, right? Right. And maybe that's ripe for disruption. And the inter-app operability is something that's going to be really interesting where your apps can talk to other apps. And today you have to bridge that with if this, then that. I get that. That's interesting. Cool. However, that's kind of like um, the geeky way of you know, getting, away, getting your way around it. For, yeah. that, for the mass adoption, it needs to be bridged much more usefully. And today that has to happen in a partnership as opposed to the, the, the ubiquitous case on the platform itself, on the OS. But, you know, again, again, the mass adoption is will the people in the bulk of the world – and in this country, in middle America, will those guys go out and buy these technologies because they think it's endearing? Maybe it'll be curious, but it has to be in an acceptable price point where they feel like it's, it's a no-brainer, not a, a must-have.
0: Well, you as a digital prophet, mm-hmm. I'm gonna use some I'm gonna use some rap skills here because profit yo. also rhymes with profit, and <laughs> you have to help you know brands and AOL make money yeah. off the things that you know, right, yes. and the things that you observe. What you know? How should brand? Because it's I mean, obviously there you can slice this thing a thousand ways to Sunday. Um, as far as like digital behavior and trends and technology and devices, mm-hmm. how should brands be thinking about it from like? You know, a 30,000 foot level, because I think if you try to keep up on a daily basis, you're going to go mm. a little bit crazy. But if you go, all right, how should we think about culture? And I, I could be wrong, but I'm, a, so I'm asking mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. like, how do you approach the brand conversation in a world where everything's constantly changing and nobody seems to know the, the types of things that you know?
1: Well, there are two things that you have to reconcile with. One, consumer behaviors are what they are, and they are going to determine what becomes hot and not based on their adoption, not what you as a brand are forcing. So instead of taking a sympathetic point of view and trying to block people by pushing your brand in front of them, you need to step beside them and say, you need to step beside them and say, hey, why don't you come alongside and let's be empathetic about this together. Co-creation is a big part of that, right? Right. So we've gone away from the days of consumers consuming content, bro. Done. Unless you're going to go and sit in front of a theatre or, you know, those experiences aren't really where we're at. When I think about what's going on with the mobile devices, etc., the things that stick out for me are people who actually create this stuff and curate this stuff and they're able to do it as their own. They're the creator, the critic and the curator of their own experiences. Right. So as a brand, how do you reconcile with that? You need to come alongside with it. So you, there's a couple of principles that I think people need to do. One is they should treat their brand like a portfolio, meaning do tons and tons of stuff that seems like it could be contagious and let the crowd decide and when it becomes contagious, amplify it in the traditional medias. Awesome. The other thing you should potentially look at doing is saying, well, if I can't, create it myself because as a production cost it's typically very expensive for brands, then how do I come alongside the stuff that's already created that I think is based on the principle of DNA? And part of it is brands are so quick to run the bright, shiny objects that they forget at the end of the day what the purpose was. They forget the why. All they do is think about the what and the how. And that's not good enough. You have to do the hard thinking as to well, why do I why should I be on this platform? One. Before you think, well, I need to be on this platform, so therefore give me a strategy. You need to think about what is it that makes it, and this is an abused word, which is authentic, but that's a beautiful word when you really do think about what is it that I stand for? Can I produce it? If I can't, then I need to associate with it. Powered by, partnered by, brought to you. Those sort of things still matter and came out in the 50s, so I get that. But if you can't produce it, align with it and say, I want to align with this content because it's wonderful, so therefore I'm going to bring it to you. And if you you can't do that, go out and find out if people can create it for you at low-cost, high value, who are people that really help impact your brand because you've given your brand up to consumers anyway, so they take ownership for it. And why do you need to do that? Because we will move away from awareness-based advertising into advocacy, word of mouth, peer-to-peer. And that's the world that we need to get to. Right. And, you know, if I was well, to... Direct-
0: like that still exists. I think it's just in a different form, right? Absolutely. Like the way the, the water cooler is the, you know, the devices or the platforms we share information on. You
1: know, yeah, I mean, but who you listen to at that water cooler on those platforms is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very so, true. And it's completely oversaturated at the moment. The two uh, platforms that I think are interesting are ones that are founded upon fun. Pokemon Go, Snapchat. Every other social platform that we think about we dick in around in today, uh, the fun's been punched out of it. And, it's, and it, those two for me feel like, wow, there's something perhaps I, I can discover in those platforms today. And so then brands say, if people are discovering things premised on fun, what could I do that could be part of that culture?
0: Well, that's also, I mean, you get back into that, that idea of distraction, right? I, th- yeah. I think, you know, Facebook, what was it, like, they, now they have blockers for ad blockers. Right? So, <laughs> if, so people who turn on their ad blockers, now Facebook is, like, turn, like, blocking the ad blocker. And that, to me, that distracts, in a different sense of the word, you know, distracts my experience, because I just want to go there and, like, talk to my friends, right? Yeah, and same yeah. thing with every other platform as it reaches a critical mass. You know, brands start to play in there and you're like, ah, you're, you're, you're bugging me right now, right? It's the promoted tweet or promoted Instagram, promoted sure. and such and such.
1: But how, however, look, man, there is scaled media that's been out there for centuries and we've cut holes in our web pages to support those. We just happen to call it advertising. But why do we do that? There's no reason why a 728 by 90 and a 300 by 250 hole in the page can't be a platform that could actually be disrupted in this landscape. It's already scaled. The fact that we just treat it like a DR experience is shame on us. So, I, you know, I honestly think that instead of running away from those that landscape, maybe there is ways that that could be disrupted by saying, what could you do in that that doesn't feel like advertising, that actually right. creates something really unique? and Without calling it native advertising. Correct. Which, which to me
0: is like, <laughs> it, like, you just told me it was an ad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> um, speaking of it, like on the creative side, right, you know, I, I find that... Uh, d- those, uh, you know, those who are kind of the the bookkeepers of the information, mm. you know, you give all this information to a client or a brand that you go to or an agency and then they go, OK, cool. Like we got all the information. And then they go back to their day to day and they don't have the time to to convert it into creative opportunities. Um, do you participate in the creative development of turning those, you know, those the trends that you see into uh, creative action?
1: Yeah. I mean, in in, a, in the short term, yes. Or a quick answer, yes, yes, yes. And the reason for that is uh, we need to provide value. And the value for me is that what, what can be done that makes things interesting in terms of engagement? And I think that's the metric we really need to worry about, by the way. And engagement and share are the two metrics that I really like. Share is I give a shit about this content so much that I want to share it to people. And part of that is the trick of how to produce content. And the content should be produced in a way that feels like it starts the conversation, Maybe it's the question, and then the answer comes with the conversation that people want. So it's personalizing content enough to make me feel like, oh, I don't want to just pass this to my network. I want to be the first person to pass it because it feels like I'm starting the conversation, the spark of an idea. Right. And that's kind of – that's just interesting. The flip side of that is part of the challenge that you're talking about is that, yeah, knowledge is great, but then how do you actually get on with it? Right. Production has to come down. And when I say production, I mean every platform that we think about today is trying to grapple with the world of sight, sound, and motion. Now, words are beautiful and powerful. I get that. But when you combine images to it, it gets more powerful. You, are, you combine motion to that, it even becomes more powerful. But producing sight, sound, and motion today is relatively expensive. So those costs obviously have to come down. Right. So I love to see how people can experiment, you know, with simple things. There's an example I show where people, this guy's tied a, uh, an iPhone to a string and uh, he just puts it in slow mo mode, and he starts to swing it. And You end up with this beautiful kind of 360 <laughs> without being 360. Right. And you think, "Wow, the cost of potentially breaking an iPhone." You end up with this beautiful slow motion mode that you wouldn't have got otherwise. Well, there's a video I saw today got passed around, which I thought was quite remarkable, where a squirrel steals a GoPro and goes running in the trees with it, and think, "Wow, that's pretty." You know, <laughs> that I, is I, crazy. But there's the you know, dude, I sat there and watched the bloody thing for four minutes. Brought to you by Nutcracker. I don't know, but it was. <laughs> okay, I it's, it's yeah, no, no. But you know, I think it's an interesting. It's it's all about production, and production is a point of view, and point of view could be something that's an extension of a brand's dialogue. And I really like that to think. Yeah, about.
0: And, and I think it also seems it's like there's an element of surprise, like the whole never before hmm. done bar oh, is oh, increasing sure. and increase. I mean, speaking of animals and devices, like I saw today was a, a dolphin stole an iPad and. <laughs> At like SeaWorld or something yeah. like that. Um, but it is like we want to be wowed and the things that will grab our attention yeah. become like those, those types of moments that you're talking about.
1: You know what's interesting is that the word you used in that statement is that's the number one ingredient to make people want to share stuff is what? Surprise. So if you can build something that has a surprise factor, people will give you, you know, greater essence of time. Why don't you say something surprising on this show? Uh, How how stunningly (laughs) engaging it is (laughs) How shitty the room is I'm so surprised It's a horrible room Why has this got such a crappy view? That's why I feel distressed Look,
0: you have a distressed t-shirt on The walls are distressed (laughs) I have undistressed jeans Something going on here Um, I'm going to read a quote Where is it? Uh, It's all in the cut Not the styling this was a New Yorker interview you had about your hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, the of which interview wasn't you don't about your have hair. a lot of, my <laughs> man. I <have> zero hair <laughs> by, com- by comparison. You've got the big Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, was that yeah. by choice or was that a thing? it's it's nature and choice kind of it's a natural coalescing. choice is yeah, that exactly. what you're telling mm-hmm. you're like, nature chose, me? nature chose and then i was like you know what i'm gonna just go with it
1: um yeah bruce willis to thank for that yeah, otherwise
0: otherwise i kind of look if i try to do what you did it would yeah. be more like a george jefferson it'd be like you know <laughs> all,
1: in the, all in the back or something like that <laughs> <Exactly>. George
0: Jefferson, <laughs> a reverse mr t if i you will. like that mm-hmm. um, yeah it's
1: all in the cut not the style
0: um, and my sort of weird parallel with that was even thinking about that as a truth for business, right? Yeah. I think when you talk about the, the, the cut, which in this, in this, par- forgive my metaphor, but I'm with you. it is... You know, looking at the structure of your hair (laughs) Mm. um, and coming up with something that fits that structure. Yeah. Versus, like, ooh, look at that. I want that. Right. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And, you know, we have this sort of follow mentality. You find it in Pokemon Go. Like every brand was like, oh my gosh, we got, how do we get, why didn't we get on the platform? And Mm. what, like, because you make, you know, Snickers, like whatever the thing is. No, this is not a real Snickers thing. But, you know, that whole like copycat mentality versus building structures that are, are kind of authentic
1: to your core. So there, look there are two observations. One is uh you've really thought about this so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was just thinking. I was just thinking about your hair.
0: That was that was it. That was, and now it's in a bun. Like, I,
1: wow. hey man, I got headphones on. I put this bloody top, and it's hot outside. I mean, exactly. LA man, it's freezing in here. I don't know what's going on. I'm just waiting for the cornrows version. That's, so, that's, all. that's right. I wait till I have Mickey Mouse is bad boy. <laughs> Could do go. double oh. ponytail. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? So I look like ears. I look more like an alien than I normally you do. You
0: should take a trip down to Disneyland and see how <laughs> people
1: can recognize you versus Mickey. <laughs> I live in Disneyland, bro. Oh, all but right, so then. here's what's interesting. I do think that brands are smarter than we give them credit for. Now. Sure. Now that's easy to do copycat and it's easy to say shiny object, ooh wow, let me run there and let me figure out what that whole Pokemon thing is. I need to be in it. And you know, don't get me wrong, man, that whole thing is gonna go pear shaped when brands get in the middle of that and make it really, really obnoxious. And we've seen that with platforms that we've loved, and then the crowd pushes back and then it becomes unpopular because anything that's niche wants to be mainstream. As soon as it's mainstream, it needs to go back to being niche because it's uncool. And then it figures out what it wants to be when it grows up. And that's kind of the nature of ebb and flow of platforms you can't always expect exponential growth it just is what it is but back to off my rant what i wanted to talk about was how brands i think are getting smarter so i saw something recently you know pokemon's been hot and not for about 2 weeks i guess really in the uk it's been uh, in the us it's been uh, elsewhere longer but what i think was quite remarkable is that nike have a series of shoes that have the same colors as the characters so you can have the character shoes Now, it's not as blatant as a character bloody glued to the shoe and voila. Right. It's actually a series of shoes that you can choose based on the characters that you like. So it's a nod to the Pokemon uh, without it being blatant. Now, why do I love that? I love that because, one, it's not trying to stick its bloody product right in the middle of that thing and be the uninvited guest to this wonderful little party that people are experiencing. But it's true to the DNA of the brand of ID Custom. So if you actually can go into Nike and do some custom shoes of your own, there's no way that brand could have come out with all of those iterations of those shoes of those characters so quickly if that wasn't already part of their DNA. And, right. that's, and I love that because yeah. that wasn't them saying, I'm going to poke myself into, the, in, you know, into this whole thing. They said, hey, people think this is – so there are a bunch of turds running around, I'm sure, with these Pokemon sneakers on. God bless them. <laughs> uh, and I think that's amazing that you know, Nike's identified. That but people, at least they're <laughs> subtle, right? It's not like, it's like,
0: it's pl- like you said, it's not plastered all no, over the no, no. shoe. It, it is it, subtle, yeah. Right.
1: And I love that because it is true to Nike. They're gonna, they'd be very happy to put the swoosh on it, right. knowing that it's just a custom-colored set that they've done that, that does a nod to something that's part of popular culture today. And the other thing that is interesting is if brands can reflect back cultural changes in marketing, they start to win. Let me give an example. About 2004, 2005, Dove came out with Real Beauty. And Real Beauty was a campaign that was take a beautiful woman, do a photo series, Photoshop the hell out of her, and then turn her into even more beautiful woman. And we've seen that, you know. But at the same time, that was an interesting experience. What was more interesting were the spoofs. So it was instead of the dove evolution, there was the slob evolution, which they took a handsome man and turned him into an absolute bloody train wreck. And, you know, through drinking, smoking, you know, the whole thing. Bad food choices, blah blah. And, you know, in the sequence of a sixty seconds, you end up with this incredible experience. However, fast forward to now, and it, you know how Dove are embracing the Olympics as one of the sponsors. So they're calling out all of the media outlets that are still sexist and saying, you know, how disconnected are you guys when it comes to what women's real beauty is? Right. And I love that because that's still true to the DNA of that brand. So even over ten years or so. They've been able to keep it together by saying, hey, man, we believe in these as principles. I love that story.
0: Um, Why why, why do you care so much about this stuff, right? Like, I mean, you are obviously super knowledgeable, super passionate. You travel, what, 360
1: days a year or something crazy like that? Yeah. Well, to, I was on the road
0: 327. Last yeah, day. yeah. So, so it's it, preaching the gospel, A, and also absorbing, you know,
1: behavior around the world. Wow.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I guess, like, why is this the thing that, you know, it sounds like you could have done a a ton of things with your...
1: Yeah, I get a massive kick out of this for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons I get a kick out of it is, honestly, I love to see what consumers' behaviors are, and we can never forecast what's going to be super hot. And I love that because, honestly, it just tells me that there's so much more room. And it also means as soon as we say something is going to be, it's going to take all our jobs away. Programmatic advertising. Really? The industry is still human by design. Second thing that people worry about, artificial intelligence. Really? That just, for me, screams another tool, you know? Right. And then I think about all of these things where people are like, yeah, no, no, the, the, the industry is going to completely revolutionize. No, they just become more tools for creative to think about. And I also think, you know, big data, you know, that was something that was hot a couple of years ago. And we took that out back and shot it in the head because it's just about data. And what I love about that as well is that there's no creativity without data. There's no data without creativity. But all of this to say that the industry is in constant change. And I love it because it's also an industry where it really is about bringing love to people through brands. So whether you go to a brand because you love it and that's where you consume your content, or you actually want to hear from a brand because you love that brand, because we all consume brands, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of the very few places where you have the privilege of being able to directly connect with consumers. And the premise of it is love. And that's pretty cool. So I get inspired by that. I also just love, I do love being able to have the privilege of being able to speak to a lot of brands and sort of figuring out what they're doing to embrace consumers. It's cool.
0: Um that, yeah, and, that, and, that, and all that stuff is great. I think about <laughs>
1: no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, all that stuff's great. Here, yeah, yeah, uh huh. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's it's. I mean, it's pretty fascinating to to be sort of the voice of cultural change. And what I was thinking about as as I fumbled my my next mm. sentence was the analog side of culture. Yeah, right. There is the you know the festival without the phones, or what you know what am I doing when like with my leisure time and does that mirror any sort of digital behavior? Do we separate the two? Do we keep them together? Like, you know, how often do you encounter um, thinking about analog culture?
1: Yeah, I think analog is is, uh, extremely important. And why that's the case is it's really where I think pure engagement happens. So, you know, when I – and I do have that privilege, as you know, to speak often, and when I do – Uh, inspire people and it's not about you know, they're the hero, I want to inspire the next round of people to become better creatives than we've ever seen that's it man, so if I can do that my job's done, if not I should push on and become a landscape architect or something and I get that but what I do think is interesting is that where analog does become really interesting is behaviours let me just get back to that so if I'm speaking to a 20-year-old who's completely distracted with headphones in on a hoverboard, checking out three three videos at a time, chatting to people and listening to music and all this shit, and that's their sense of engagement, in the same family, there could be a 12-year-old who's looking at that sibling saying, I want nothing to do with that nerd. I'm going to go read some books. I'm looking at my parents saying, why do we have three cars and why are we still on the grid? So what's happening in one sibling set, so one generation, sure. is that we're seeing a different cycle of mentality. I'm not saying that's... The, that's consistent, but I am seeing it becoming more prevalent, which tells me that there is something about that. So there is a cultural cycle, and we talked about cycles and behaviours, that it, we're not waiting generations for it to happen. We're seeing it in one family. right? And I find that to be remarkable. Then what does that mean? And what does that mean in analogue? Does it mean that we'll go back to flip phones and not have some? No, it won't. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting about it is that what, what behaviours are they going to adopt that actually mean that analog becomes more important than the 20 hours of time that you and I spend in front of screens every day. Right. I mean what what does that push push away mentality mean? And you know and, I, and as somebody who spends a lot of time with technology and I get to experience a lot of this stuff I really am quite precious on what it means for me to be to to have downtime. You know, so that's why I play acoustic music. I don't I don't play electronic music. That seems a little obvious for me. Right. That's why I still quite like the craft of huge mistakes when I play crappy guitar, you know. And I love the idea of that that analogness because that's kind of really where it all starts. And yeah, man, look, I just think that the analog play is really interesting, and especially when you see it in the cycle of behaviors of a generation that you think would all be about digital. But I honestly love it when I see technology help move humanity forward. Um
0: you you mentioned the word inspire. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of your presentations. Mm. I think there's an amazing science to the way you present. <laughs> I would love if you could just talk about it a little bit because hmm. I feel like I was in a conversation a couple of weeks ago at a conference and we were talking about slides versus verbal dialogue yeah, and yeah. how those two interact. And yours is always, is so seamless. It's yeah. like... It's almost like you're uh, like a voiceover for a really cool sizzle reel, right? And, it's, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm watching the visuals, but I, like it's not it, like they're so well intertwined. I would love if you could just talk about like the idea of presentation and how important it is to you and like what your approach is to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good question. So I am not a natural presenter. It is a learned skill. So one of the things that I do do is try and teach people how to be Do-do. a better presenter. And part of that is for me, it's about a frequency. So I treat people as though, you know, if I'm going to knowledge drop, I want it to be in a way that, that feels like they can absorb enough to grab enough of those ideas, and then it'll resonate with them later. Because, you know, I'm not about about a script. I'm making sure that they get enough information that they can form formulate the story that is articulated to them. But I do want to cover a lot of topics in a short amount of time, typically. However, the thing about the presentation model for me is pertinently, what is it, you know, how I develop presentation is what I want people to take away and then ba- how do I back into it, not the other way around. Right. And that's that's a craft and a skill that I learned. And again, it, it's it's not natural to me, man, I had to learn this thing because it was my part time job. I mean I was the head of media and marketing in Europe for a while for AOL. Right. My part time job was evangelism because I just felt like I needed to help the brand resonate and that's why I took it on. And so, with that, I had to come up with, a, you know, what was really a narrative, and I had to curate that narrative. And then, what does that, what does that mean? So, that's the craft. I think that part of it also is I'm a self-taught guitarist and songwriter, and so that is stories as well, you know. So, it, and I know story is way overabused, or storytelling especially, but I have determined, you know, the difference between what is a narrative that inspires people versus what a narrative to inform people versus what is a narrative to uh, just provide information to people. And there's different different types of tools to do that right. and they shouldn't all be forced into a presentation mode and also I just put myself in the seat of, of, of people who are watching this and thinking what, what would I want them to feel and try and sort of build to that and it sounds a little bloody, it sounds a little uh, esoteric but that's just the reality of it man. No, yeah. but
0: there's there's I mean, there's definitely a little bit of empathy that goes into a good presentation, right? Hell yeah, have, and and that's whether you're pitching a concept, you know, in a room full of executives or you're doing a presentation on the stage or mm-hmm. you're trying to convince your kids to do something. Yeah. All like of you which have is to relevant. put yourself in like in those shoes and like, is this interesting to me? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I don't think enough people ask themselves that question, right? right. Like, or am I like am I impressed by am, does this give me goosebumps? Am I excited by this? So
1: Yeah, but also understand that you know, I'm a designer by trade, so I, I, I like to think that my visuals look good. Yep. In addition to that is I touch every single slide, so I, I know what's going on, as opposed to somebody handing you a deck and saying, here, man, Chris, have at it. Yep. That, doesn't, that, you know, that just doesn't fly for me, and I see a lot of people and a lot of teams of people when they go out and pitch, you know, there's somebody who's got their bit, and they haven't really figured out the totality of everything else. So you have to think about what the ebb and flow is and the sequence of that. What's the highs and lows, and what are you expecting in a low? So when you're thinking about a presentation, you're always going to lose people's attention, like I've lost your attention in this discussion. What did you I, say? We, yeah. <laughs> there are certain times you know you're going to lose somebody, and you want to lose somebody on a fact. You don't want to lose somebody when you're trying to inspire them to do something else. So when you, when you right. when you think about facts and possibilities, which is basically what the makeup of all presentations are, you don't want to lose people on the possibility. You want to lose them on the fact. So, they can think about, oh, let me go back to being dreaming about what I could possibly do. Sure. And that's important to understand in terms of sequencing. And a lot of people don't do that.
0: Well, you do a really good job with facts, too, is, yeah. you know, um, whether it's like asking, this is the surprising thing about the, the average number of apps downloaded per month. Sure. It's like, oh, it's a mathematical impossibility that it's zero, but that's really, you know. Yeah. So and then, <laughs> uh, and I've seen you do that like time and time again. It's mm. like these wow facts that, that come up. Um, but I want to change gears really quick before we go. Sure. Um, you mentioned the idea of storytelling and i think the fact that it is an overused word is an important point to touch on uh because it it is an important thing for anyone to be able to do right and we hear about it over and over again we all i think we you know kind of roll over it versus like really kind of immerse ourselves into the stories we want to tell so i'm I'm, what is the the david shing definition of storytelling
1: so it's less about this the telling it's more about the story and the story is you have to understand that there is there's, um, start, beginning, and end. And what does that mean in the sequence of what you're trying to do? And you can do it in six seconds or you can do it in 20 minutes, depending on how, how you actually want to deliver it. So for me, story is how do you deliver the beginning, the middle, the end? What are you going to do to put some sort of surprise in the middle of it or somewhere along that sequence so people feel like I wasn't expecting that? And for me, what's the head tilt? What is the thing that says, oh, there's more curiosity to understand there, and, and that's sort of the basis of it. You know, and there's also just the human truth, which is what are we trying to do here, man? Is it, what, is it, what is it founded upon? Why do we have the, the, the ability to actually have the privilege to talk about story? And that's for me, and when I think about, and put brand in the middle of that, which is they don't talk about the why enough. Right. They just talk about the how and the what. We talked about that already. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem for me is that you know they, they tend to think about the platform first and not about what is it they're trying to say. And in the totality of all of those comms pushed together, what typically happens is the path of resistance, which is they'll do something which is the biggest part of where their budget goes. Right. So they build a slick 30-second TV spot. And then they try and shove that across every one of their platforms and hope to God they work in a you know, remarkable way. And they're shocked and rocked when it doesn't. Yeah. Imagine that.
0: it's funny. Like I, I, my personal theory. Is, I mean, it's 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 a, a truth. Is that every brand tells it, it has makes an emotional promise. Right. Like whether it's just do it, like inspiring you to be able to do anything or Snickers really satisfies or whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, And you could, like I always ask anytime I'm in the middle of a brainstorm is like, what is their tagline? (laughs) You know, what is the thing that the thing that they're they're kind of planting their feet in? Um, But uh, as we close, a couple more questions um the show's called innovation crush mm. um hopefully you're well informed of that at the Beginning of the, <laughs> the episode. given i'm here
1: <laughs> right <laughs> what's this again
0: <laughs> uh that was my that was my impression of you
1: yeah innovation uh,
0: dust <laughs> 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 innovation dust that's good cyber dust uh, anyway um what have you seen out in the world that you're crushing on? And you've literally been around the world, but it may be in your world, it may be art, it may be on your music side, yeah. whatever. Like, what's the thing that you go like, oh, my gosh, that is amazing right now?
1: Architecture. Yeah, Yeah, big, big, big fan of architecture and what what people can do with old-fashioned tools like cement. You know, when I think about – and why architecture? Because inside those buildings are humans trying to do human stuff. That's remarkable. And so the, the the ability to see human movement through the lens of architecture and what that does is I'm just intrigued by, and especially when it's forward thinking because at the end of the day, uh, it shouldn't be homogenized. It shouldn't. It all shouldn't feel the same. It should be really interesting. Right. And if you start with the foundations of what that does, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge architecture freak. Well,
0: especially when you look at the, like the. the- what we've discovered through technology, like whether it's materials or 3D printing or sure. just a new like a oh physiologically this shape should not work, but it does because we've figured it out, you know, mathematically. Mm. It's like the 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 crescendo of where we can go with architecture is pretty amazing.
1: And it's been around for centuries and centuries and centuries right. and we still go back to some of those platforms to do so. There's Pyramids. There's a piece of work done by ING Direct which I thought has nothing to do with architecture, but it has has a combination of things that I thought was quite interesting. They did thing a thing called the Next Rembrandt where they analysed a bucket load of data. They determined, they were also, the ING will say, uh, invest in a lot of art and they also invest in innovation. And they looked at all of these Rembrandts that they owned and they looked at all these codes that they had about Rembrandt and they determined what the next Rembrandt could have been. So wow. Rembrandt died like 300 years ago. And through all of this, they determined that it should be a Caucasian male tilted to the right, have a beard, wear a collar, tilted hat, and they proceeded to, 3D print in 13 oil inks on a canvas what was potentially the next Rembrandt. So what Rembrandt could have potentially painted if he was still alive or alive at that time. Crazy. And that's dope, man, because that tells you that creativity doesn't exist without data because you couldn't have guesstimated that without a bucket load of data. And you couldn't have done that today without probably a beautiful 3D printer to be able to determine what that would look like. And so it's just one of those perfect storms of all those things together. It's a very, very cool piece of work. That's really cool. Mm. Um, last but not least, mm. breathe is
0: comfort. Conver- you know, you look like a meditator. Um, <laughs> is, that a, is that even a verb or like a, a thing? Meditator. A meditator. Yeah, um, it seems kind of like self-serving if you actually meditate. It's complete opposite of what it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, but complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is?
1: Overused, and we should change innovation to invention.
0: Invention crush. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for dissing my
0: entire three years of work here. Um, no, but uh, you it, said spy. <laughs> no, like explain that a little bit though. I mean, the the difference between invention and innovation in in, in your yeah.
1: Answer. Look from my perspective, innovation is really iterations upon an idea. Invention is how do you tip it? How do you turn it upside down and complete completely do something else with it? And that's where I think we need to. And again, I come back to that. You we talked about it earlier as we as, as we dribbled on here, which was, you know, we have these formats that have scaled media across the landscape that pay our rent. People are running away from that because they think that's just a, just a format they shouldn't think about. But I think about it as pixels on a page that could be invented into something else. The innovation for that would just be, well, you know, how do you put live ads in there? Okay, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something completely different, and that's where invention comes from, I think. Nice. Why can't I hear a piano ticking? You hear I think it's just you. I think you're going crazy. Somebody's tuning uh, a piano in the background or something. Maria, is that you? Are you
0: Are you playing? That is you?
1: You see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's the accordion. It's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Black man Ouch. with an accordion outside waiting to, to cheer you on as you, as your one man parade. Yeah, that's right. Um, anything else? What, where, where can people find you on the interwebs? Shingy seems pretty easy to spell. Yeah, I'm, but, pretty, uh, I'm
1: pretty uh, easily found, man. You can, you can come hang out anytime I'm around.
0: All right. Uh, sounds good. Hey everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thanks, this brother. was great. Anytime. Um, we'll have to do it again next time in three years when you're in LA again. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you got it Uh, everyone this has been another installment of Innovation Crush and we will talk to you next time